You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. All right, Primal Radio, we are back. Tom, what is up, brother? I am roasting. We're having a full-on heat wave over here. It's crazy. Yeah. How hot is it? 31, which I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Probably 140. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, hardly. It's hot. It's been hot as shit here, too. But every day, man, I go to the gym. I get there at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm completely soaking wet. All day, constantly changing my clothes. The other day, I killed it. I come home. I jump in my pool to get cooled off. The pool is like pissed water, warm. Come into the shower. I take an ice-cold Wim Hof shower, right? Yeah. And then, I, then I'm, I go and lay on my bed. I got a ceiling fan kicking. I'm naked with the ceiling fan. So my ex-wife calls me up. and goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm just laying here on my bed getting blown by the ceiling fan. <laughs> uh, so... So who knows? But anyway, so the heat wave hopefully is over. So yeah. I'm excited about our guest today. You want to give a big introduction to? So here's what happened, right? So last year I wanted to join the army reserves. I was all ready to go off to this assess- assessment center, and yeah. then I got this thing through saying, "Oh, because of this hip injury you had back in April, we want you to do a three month training diary of military esque training." And all the things that I like doing were not on the list. So there was no martial arts, no playing football. It was like you know carrying heavy load, doing running, all the stuff that no one likes. What was the hip injury? I've basically done a load of sparring. I've gone down onto the ground and I was absolutely fine, right? Then the next day I woke up and thought, oh, I've got a bit of a dead leg. By Monday, I could hardly walk. And it was a thing called greater trochanteric pain syndrome. And it lasted for about four or five days. It's basically where your hip swells up to protect itself. It was quite bad, but then... On the Saturday after I had it, I managed to climb England's highest mountain. So for me, it wasn't that much of a big deal. But right. you know, the army don't want to get sued for. Well, they thought it was injuries. a big deal, and that's why they asked you to do this kind of training. That's right. That's right. So I was recommended to go to what are known as British military fitness classes. I think the website's now called B Military Fit. That's where I met this week's guests. Basically, mad training in the park, high quality, fast paced, every session's different. And today's guests are uh, Jeremy Bearder, uh, who's known as Gel, who's the longest serving coach, I think, in, in the London region. Wow. And Stuart Clark, who heads up British military fitness for East London and South East London. So, welcome to the show, gents. Cheers, guys. Thank Thanks you. For us. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Muchas gracias. I, I thought I'd start with a little story about what happened yesterday, Gel, but you're probably better off telling this one than me. So <laughs> tell us what happened yesterday, because we had a bit of drama, didn't we? Just, just messing about in, in the park, just going through some drills, doing the rapid arnis, or whatever you call it, Tom. Like, so just doing some self-defence drills with knives, sticks, and yeah. a few other things. As we're by the railing in the park, We've seen this guy go flying by on one of the higher bikes that you've got in London, the Boris bike, as we call them, but let's not mention Boris. 
as he's gone by, there's a, a big four by four with flashing lights on the top, like an under, undercover police vehicle chasing this guy down. And he's turned back on himself and come back up the path by us. I've said to Tom, and Tom's agreed, yeah, should we go for it? And we just sort of looked over as, as, as though we weren't doing anything, and we literally just dropped our shoulders and pelted at this guy to, to stop him. Um, shit, and just like a vigilante. Uh, help, uh, help, help the guys out. Right. Basically, I've seen a few bike thieves over the last few weeks. We run him down quite well. We didn't actually catch him ourselves, but we slowed him down and knackered him enough to allow him to get caught by someone on the far side of the park. There was probably eight vehicles, police, undercover, and um, like blue lights and right. everything else flying around the park. A lot of members of the public were out in the park going, go on, boy, get away, go on. They're all backing <laughs> him up because, because it's that, the, the, where we are in the East End, it's Shoreditch area is pretty sort of... There's, there's a bit of social housing, shall I say, so you've got people... Right. On either side, you've got some posh people, you've got some not quite as posh people. And there was a lot of people backing this guy to get away. And a lot of them were having a go at us afterwards, which was interesting. Oh, they started giving you guys shit? Yeah, leave them alone, let the police do what they're doing. You know, you never know, they might be fitting them up for something. So we were like, you know what, I've just got the ump with people on Boris bikes, nicking bikes lately. I've seen a few of my members lose their bikes, so I'm like, I'm on their case. And anyway... The police came back after their, their little chase down and came over to us and said, thank you so much, guys. That guy was wanted for rape. No so, shit. Wow. Yeah. So we felt quite justified. And I went right, and told no the members of the public who'd, who'd had a pop at us and just said, look, he was, he was down for, he's been alleged uh, for sexual assault. So wow. I'm pretty glad I did it. So sure. Quite an interesting, an interesting <laughs> lunchtime martial yeah. arts session, you might say. We're certainly right. protecting someone. <laughs> what, Joe, what did they say to you when you said, oh, yeah, he's, he's getting done for rape? Like, what, what, uh, what did they say to you? Because I actually was a bit away from you when that was said. He said, fair play. He said, well, yeah, appreciate you doing what you did then. You know, it was just, it was a case of people sticking their nose in. They could say we were doing the same. But sure. you, you do what you think's right at the time. And both Tom and I were in the same frame of mind. Right. The fact we you were... Know the fact we were throwing punches at each other, we might have wanted to get some out on this guy. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's off topic a little bit, but when you, what you did there, I, I, I watch these videos on YouTube and you'll see somebody getting beaten up or something, some assault thing, wherever. It could be in a store of some kind. And there's the fight, the one guy beating up the other guy or a woman or whatever it might be. And every motherfucker standing there filming it, doing nothing about it. And you have to worry about the legal issues of jumping in and doing something in case you get hurt or that you might end up getting attacked. Did that ever occur to you at all? Or you're like, fuck it, let's take this guy out. <laughs> I mean, that's um, kind of what personally, it Personally, my only issue would have been if I pushed him off the bike. I was close enough to do it and I right. held back. I just wanted to slow him down so he would stop himself. Right. So I ran at him and he swerved and, and then Tom gave the rest of the chase. I could have literally grabbed him quite easily, but if he'd have yeah. come off and broke his shoulder or something like that, that I did actually consider the case. If there Isn't was a case against crazy? him, he might have right. got off. He might have got off on a technicality, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to make the guy turn away. Well, then you got to make sure that when you keep hit him, him in the you park, hit, you hit him hard enough, he, he can't testify. <laughs> <So, laughs> <laughs> you got to make sure you do the job right. 
the right to bear arms or grab arms is not or actually legal. Or fuck some UK. guy up. <laughs> right. No shit. Yeah. So now, Tom came to you guys, what, about a year ago? Yeah, it's about a year, Tom, about nine months. Yeah, about nine December. months, yeah. yeah. All right, so, so here's a, I know you meet a lot of people all the time. What was your first, what was your first impression of Tom? He was keen. It was clearly wet behind the ears with regards ah. to military stuff, but very excited about getting involved. Right. And once he did the session, he, he looked at me, gave me a, a reassuring nod as though it was like, yeah, that's what I needed. Oh, that's after good. The session. So, yeah, he definitely felt it after the first one. I shaved about two and a half minutes off my run time, right? And I don't run. All I do is their sessions. I've lost about seven or eight percent body fat you know there's a load of good metrics behind this to sort of support right. the work that these guys do and i only do a couple of classes a week sometimes three um but some of the guys that work with you know gel five times a week and have been doing it for years are incredibly fit first question then that i wanted to ask how did bmf get started and you know what's the history of the company well initially so there were three founder members um there was a major robin cope Colour Sowerby, so that's Harry Sowerby, and a guy called Will Skinner. Uh, I don't know his military background, but the three of them were on actually the set of Saving Private Ryan. I believe that Robin Cope had been to New York and was walking through Central Park. Whilst walking through the park, he saw this, this GI dressed up in combats, giving the good news to a bunch of ladies in the middle of Central Park. And he watched it and he said, we can do a much better job back in the UK. He basically spoke to Will and to Harry and they set up the classes to start. And in April of 1999, the first class opened in Hyde Park. I believe there were five people turned up on that first class in April 1999. But within eight or nine years, that had grown to almost 20,000 people across the country. I think there were three starter venues at Hyde Park, at Battersea and Clapham Common. And then they moved from there and just grew to 140 venues nationwide, including uh, Scotland and Wales. So we've got lots of venues all around the country. We've, there's obviously a lot more competition now. We've slimmed down in a few areas. So we're probably down at about 130 parks, I'd say, across the country. But we're consolidating what we have and really pushing the product as we go. But yeah. Started on a film set and became pretty entrepreneurial t story. Yeah, that's amazing. The scale that it's grown to. And what, who's like the typical client base? Because like most people, they want to be in a nice air-conditioned gym, not in a freezing cold park in December, you know. If you talk about London specifically, you know, you, your average Londoner is sat at their desk for 10 hours a day. I don't believe in any such thing as average so I think you're breaking down to the, the physical element and the mental element. A lot of these guys are just desperate to get outside, and whether it's subconscious or, or front of their or front of their thinking, they want to be outside doing something that gets them in touch with. I'm not going to say in touch with nature, but in touch with the elements. And add into that how how diverse the fitness industry is now, and how it's grown, particularly over the last 15 years, into many avenues. And what you ended up with and what you've got is a fitness session that's well composed outside that appeals to anyone, to use your industry terms, from millennials all the way through to, you know, I think we, some of our oldest clients are over 80 based across wow. separate products, which I, just, yeah, which I just think, you know, these are hardy people 
and they're building resilience and you can talk about all the psychological stuff but ultimately what they're doing is making the decision to go out and be healthy whether it's once a week or whether it's like you know like you said earlier Tom five times a week it's anybody that has an affinity with just going on that journey I think we've all been there you start that journey off you become a part of a membership community then you learn to love fitness or you embrace it fitness in its in its own form I listened to you guys previous podcast you know whether it's martial arts element of fitness whether it's running element of fitness whether it's bodybuilding element of fitness and, you know, actually, it's about people, I think, particularly in London, aspiring to find their place in the community. It just happens to be in the fitness community. And Stuart, tell us about the, the sort of like the bib system, because that's how you get it to work for all these different types of people at the same time. What was that? I didn't hear what you said. The what system? Bib, like a, like a vest, basically. So there's three different oh. vests that we wear. So, I mean, from, from the military point of view, what we do, everyone that joins gets a bib. Uh, that'll be... An entry-level bib, which is a blue. Think of it as mid-fitness, which is a red. And then higher-level fitness, which is a green. To a certain degree, it's very much down to the member to decide or prove their level of fitness. You know, right. I quite like that. It's, it's a part of a community. And, you know, I, I look, I've been with BMS for about a year, but worked in the fitness industry for, say, 12. And then, strangely, finance and commerce before that. And the bib system is great because it gives the company an identity, but it also gives the member an identity. You know, if you think about the growth of CrossFit, over the last 10, 15 years and how it was spoken about as a cult. BMF is almost the CrossFit of outside. They wouldn't appreciate me saying that, but it's got that cultism. Ah, and ah, and pe- course, pe- yeah. people don't say I exercise outside. They say I BMF. And the bib system gives them identity. And one of the toughest things for an instructor is to schedule a session for 25 to 30 people that takes into account all fitness levels. And, right. you know, just to give you an example, uh, you know, based on Tom's question there, to give you an example, in its rawest form, a blue bib might run 20 metres and back, a red bib might run 30 metres and back, and a green bib might run 40 metres and back at 80% pace, for example. And what you end up doing is kind of what I call shuffling. So you shuffle the members out and then you concertina them back in so that everyone leaves at their own pace and arrives back in a group. And that, that works across pretty much any system of exercise, whether you're strength training, conditioning, warming up, warming down. It gives everybody their own identity and place within that hierarchical system of ability. But the great thing that I've, that I've been really surprised by is how well accepting people are of their bib color i'm a green i'm a red i'm a blue and people aspire to be better nobody ever wants to let go of a higher bib and come down a level but i kind of like that you know it's constantly fighting and, right. and performing at a level that is suitable to them or a level that they want to get to you know one of my sayings is it's better to be at the back of the red bibs than at the front of the blue bibs and it's that constantly chasing the dream i guess you might say over in the states but you're kind of always chasing that next level up to push your level of fitness and challenge yourself jeremy gave me a green straight away and i was like oh, i don't really want to be a green <laughs> i was kind of stuck with it so you came over to bmf Stuart, and what were you doing before and what drew you to this project i actually worked for i'm not gonna tell you what one but a large bank in the uk for nine years did pretty poorly at school. Ironically, I failed physical education. My A-levels, don't tell anyone. It's only going out to a podcast. But, um, I left school pretty despondent and ended up working for a bank and discovered that if you work hard, you can achieve things and get promoted. Kind of capitalist society. Nine years later, I was pretty disillusioned with that and, and questioned where my life was going. I actually swam at the national level and was pretty good all-round sportsman. And I'd always wanted to work in the fitness industry. But when you get on the money train, particularly in London, it's very hard to let that go. And eventually, I, I quite naively made the jump into fitness, did my qualifications. I grew my own business, opened my own gym, 
loved it, had a community membership of about 350 people. And then eventually me and my other half had a child. And if anybody's ever owned a, um, a community-based leisure business, you'll know that 5 a.m. starts and 10 p.m. finishes seven days a week is pretty right. tough to marry up with a family life. So we made a decision, sold the gym. Um, I sold my soul and went to work for a local authority, so a local council, quite commercially minded. Jill will back me up on that, sometimes to my detriment, really. Pushed that local council's health and fitness offering to its absolute limit. And then I, I kind of became a bit disillusioned and I was, I was a bit fearful of becoming institutionalised as a council employee. Uh, so I did two years there and just completely randomly, the, the job for BMF had come up and I thought, you know what? I'd love to get back away from this desk and get back to instructing. The reason that most people come into this industry, you know, if you're coaching martial arts, if you're teaching football or coaching football and you end up behind a desk five years later, ironically, you get paid more for being sat behind a desk on your backside doing, you know, BFM. The irony is there's always that part of someone, I think, that's longing to impart knowledge and coach and teach. Yeah. So I had this opportunity, amazingly, to come back and work with this completely polarised mix of people. And if you've ever held a managerial position, the managerial stuff is a real burden, in my opinion. But the training members, for me personally, I'm traveling two, three hours uh, to get to one park to deliver a session. And I wouldn't do it if I didn't love it. That's kind of what drew me into the system, really. Not the growth of the company, not the amount of people, not, not the military background, but actually this opportunity to deliver to this resilient group of Londoners. And I've, I've kind of loved it every step of the way, really. Nice. I guess to gel, similar question. So you, you were in the military and then did you move straight over or what kind of happened there, mate? Yeah, so I left the military back in 1991. So uh, been a long time out and I got married. My relationship wasn't naturally one that actually gave me any kind of future other than being part of that family. And I don't mean that in a horrible way. It's just it was a tough relationship that I had. Uh, I've got two beautiful kids. But when that relationship broke down in 2008, a friend of mine just told me about this, this fitness thing in the park. She asked me what I wanted to do in my life. She was mentoring me, if you like. And I saw the BMF thing and I was like, that is me all over. And a lot of people have always said that I inspired them whenever we were working, you know, playing sports and stuff. It was like, Gel's got this about him. He's good at controlling a group and getting people to do stuff they wouldn't otherwise do. So literally a week after, a week, a week after speaking to her about it, I pulled the office of PMF, spoke to a guy called Simon Richmond and was on a course in Cardiff two weeks later doing my level one, which is no longer a qualification that you can actually use to instruct. But literally three months later, I did my level two, then my level three, went up to doing my strength conditioning course, which I did with our own academy at BMF. And I just love being outside, inspiring people. I've got a lot of members that have stayed with us for years and years. There's some that have been around before I was at the company, and I've been with the company now 11 years. A long time. Um, yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, I've been very lucky and fortunate in the time that I've been involved with BMF because I've worked with great people. You know, Stu really helps sort of manage our region, if you like. He makes it work for us all. And not only that, it's the members. They, you buy into them and they buy into you. You know, it's like you, you really get where they're going. You've got some that are pretty decent athletes. You know, some people go off and do the MDS, if you don't know what that is, the Marathon de Saab seven-day marathon where they run more than a marathon every day for five days with half a day's break in between or something like that it's stupid crazy stuff across the desert in on the african continent so it's it's, it's crazy you know some of these guys are, are great at the obstacle race stuff 
and some mix BMF in with other things, you know, like Tom goes to the gym and he does his martial arts and chases down sexual assaulters. So he's putting nails on there. Uh, <laughs> I think he thought he was nicking a Boris bike. If I'm right, honest. so everything in BMF, is that completely structured? They give you a foundation, a structure of what you have to work with? Are you allowed to be creative when you're out there and things and ideas? Or does everything have to be approved by the powers that be? There was a, a layout, if you like, a, a session format, but it wasn't as as good as we've got now. We've got a new style, which is programmed. So it's basically wherever you go in the country, you're going to get this system where we start off with an activation and mobilization phase. Then we go into a strength phase. Then from there, we'll move to an anaerobic phase, you know, where they're getting to their max on exertion and then finish off the, the physical part of the session with the aerobic phase and to the cool down and stretch off, which we call release and recover. It is good. It's a great format, but you've still got license to do within that whatever you decide on the day. We encourage all our instructors to make a plan of what they're doing. They can get funky with it. You can use equipment, stuff that you can carry around the parks. We've, we're just about to actually start putting out a new product called BMF Ops. So it's like a special ops session, which we'll be doing where we'll be moving around with lots of equipment, stretchers and big heavy logs that weigh about 70 kilos. Uh, nice. You know, and there'll, there'll be equipment on the stretchers and it's going to be a well-planned experience. It's not our signature workout because that's the military fit workout, but it will be the toughest session we'll deliver until we can think of another one that's going to be even tougher. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's basically giving the members a real workout that's going to be extreme carrying these stretchers. These stretchers are about eight foot long mm -hmm. and they're not made of wood. They are like heavy metal stretchers and they'll be loaded up with ropes, with ammo boxes, with jerry cans, with kettlebells, with yeah, slam yeah. balls, all sorts of stuff. Obviously keeping within safety regulations and making sure there's stuff that can't fall out. But it's going to be a tough session, but the members are going to love it. And we're actually performing the first one this Saturday at Victoria oh, Park in East London. I'll see if I can make it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see you over there, Jim. It'd be brilliant. Do you find a lot of uh, the members are looking for a kind of military-esque experience? And how do you find the sort of difference between what you used to, say, do in the army and what you do here? If you look back over the last 20 years, when BMF was at its most prevalent, there was a lot of military exposure, quite a lot of right. positivity around the military in the media probably on both sides of the continent. I'm sounding a little bit formal here, but if you build that story over the next 10 years, what comes to London that every country bids for? The Olympics. So all of a sudden, you've got a community running around like headless chickens looking for anything they can lay their hands on that looks like exercise. So what I've found is, you know, it's quite apparent that I'm not ex-military. I've been brought into the business because of my fitness and my commercial background. If you look at the, I'm going to say average member here, and I use that term a lot, although I don't like the term average. Most guys are looking for a good fitness experience with some sort of community. Ultimately, if people want a military experience, you know, the military has moved on in the last five or 10 years. If you go and see a military session now, there's a lot of injury training, a lot of controlled deployment, a lot of tabbing, you know, that's safe tabbing. And it doesn't look like the reality TV of late would have you believe it looks like with you know obviously i'm I, you know 
I can't really talk too much about it. There's a certain amount of resilience built up in the army through particular types of methods that I'll know personally nothing about. And, and Gel might be the person to ask about that. But there's a reason that the average person that works in an office for nine days hasn't joined the military because they don't truly want that military experience. But they want a taste of it. They want a feeling of the community, the camaraderie and of the fitness. And they want to they want to test themselves. So when you put that together in effectively what we're trying to deliver, it's not necessarily the military session because I don't know what you guys believe listening to your podcast uh, from from the previous week. Exercise is exercise, exercise is movement, it's locomotion, it's lifting weights, it's running, it's it's all manner, it's dance for the like you know for the sake of it. it's all manner right. of things put together. It's the experience of bringing people together and overcoming in its most simplest simple form, you know. Put two people together, one person runs 20 metres, runs back, the other person runs 20 metres and then runs back at full pelt for four minutes. Go, go, go kind of mentality. And it's, it's that camaraderie of coming together and getting over or something. So think of it more as a military ethos. And that should be backed up by instructors being on time, being motivational, being positive influences, staying behind at the end, having a persona that is believable. So if you're for want of a better term, if you're a hard-ass bastard, have that persona and be that person in the park, but understand that actually there's only so far you can push the average civilian member. I'm kind of an in-the-middle instructor. I've got a relatively good background with, shall we say, slightly older clientele. (laughs) Joe's shaking his head, saying that's not true. But then equally, I've done done a huge amount through sports performance and strength conditioning. So it's about choosing as an instructor, how you're going to behave to encourage that community to come together. And you know what? Everybody's looking for the best experience for what they're paying for that one hour. Personally, I don't really care about the money. It's more about putting on that almost like a pre-season training session every single hour that you deliver a session. That's what people want. That's what people need. And they need that to fade in and out of normality of life. I don't know if that makes sense, but, but that's kind no, of the it way does. I see it. I'll tell you what, when people come to just me, for example, whatever it is, that experience uh, to have them in, engaged and excited about coming to train with you, that all they can think about when they're not there is, fuck, I want to go to the park and train today with my guys at PMF. You know, that's what that's what I try to create, and it matters. And everybody will bring their level of athleticism. And like you said, it's up to you to determine how much to push, how much to give away, but to get the best out of them for that hour. That is important because, if you know, they could just go to the regular, I don't know if they have them there, they're called Planet Fitness, and they're 10 bucks a month, and you do nothing. You get a lot of nothing. But if you go to you, you know, you're going to raise the bar. That's really what you're doing. Do you know, you know, it's interesting. Do you know what I call it? Again, and I'm going to come across as a, a bit of a commercial douchebag, but basically what you're doing <laughs> is outsourcing your exercise. It is yeah. true, but you're out, outsourcing your exercise. And, you know, funny enough, uh, the Londoners kind of understand that, and we always have a bit of a chuckle. One of my favourite, this is a bit, a bit off topic, one of my favourite sayings lately, Tom, you'll understand this, is a green bib. You know, I've got, I've got a bit of a saying with green bibs, you know, we're at the van, we're putting all the kit in, and I always say to the green bibs, right, chuck it in, chuck it in, and you get some funny looks, and the green bibs say, what are you talking about, what are you talking about? I've put my hag in, the, in there, I say, no, no, put your ego in the van, leave that in there, lock it away, let's crack on and do some exercise for the next hour. And it's amazing how setting the standard for the beginning of the, of the session actually runs throughout the entire session. Um, right. the, these, these guys are looking for a, a tough, uncompromising, empathetic, when needed, coachable session. There's a big difference between coaches and instructors. 
And what I'm looking for as, as an employer, Joel won't admit it, but this is what he does better than anyone, is he gets buy-in because he blends the trainer attitude with the coach attitude. There's a reason that all of the business units and the parks that Joel looks after in our region outperform other parks because he's got that level of personality as well as background knowledge that attracts and retains members and and people buy into you know it's almost like look into my eyes i'm going to hypnotize you buy into him and what he's what he's asking him to do and i'm I'm telling you now they'll jump off if he said right we're going to do a military tactical insertion i want you to jump off that 30 foot building onto hard concrete (laughs) they would jump off and and do it for him and and that's kind of that's kind of the, the level of input and excitement that you get from somebody that buys into a coach and how f- hard is it to for you to find people like that i mean you've got jane rafter for example who takes uh, take some of the classes for us as well let me tell you first of all jane is jane is unique in the same way that jelly's unique i think these guys are not a dime a dozen they're hard to find so the trick is as a as an employer when you do find these guys just try and hold on to them so it, just, just quickly, because I did actually, uh, you know, I, I read through your questions and I had a look at that question and I wanted to make sure that I answered politically correct about Jane, but, but also with, with some enthusiasm based on the way I really feel about her. Um, first of all, it's very, very tough in this industry, probably because of the way the military is based. very tough to find a really strong, have a massive impact on male and female members. Jane, I... Uh, I don't even know what she's got, but she's got it. And it just the ability to command, engage, be empathetic for that 30 seconds when it's needed, but then go back to your 59 minutes and 30 seconds of hard-ass session. Um, and she she does that better than anybody. I've never known somebody, I call her a chameleon, she can just change her colours to appeal to everybody. Her sessions are fucking hardcore, I have to say. I mean, like, really, you never get a rest. Heart rate and lungs, for me, just, like, exploding out of my chest. Yeah, Tom, let me tell you a story, mate. When I first started with BMF, or I, I was told or, or I was requested to travel around the park and mystery shop and basically take part in all of the instructor's sessions. I can tell you now, mate, I'd heard some rumours about Jane and I avoided her session like the plague. And I, I'm, ah. I, will not do a Jane, I will not do a Jane session. She works at a park uh, called Alexandra Palace. If you get a chance to go online for any listeners and have a look at the views, you can see over the whole of London. And there's a reason you can see over the whole of London is because it's a fuck off big hill that you don't want to be running up every session. So I avoid her session like the plague, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremy, you must have like changed a lot of people's lives, right? Through this stuff. Tell me some of the stories like you're, I guess you're proudest of. There's many, obviously we're delivering a service that's all about the physical and getting outside, working in these high pressure environments that we have in London. A lot of people are coming to me and, and telling me, you don't realise you're like a doctor when it comes to my mental health. Because they're sitting at a desk, you know, staring at f- um, three or four walls every day at screens, etc. Hunched over, doing that thing, you know, getting the upper cross syndrome, feeling absolutely like, oh my God, you know, I'm in a prison cell. Get me to BMF. Gel will make me feel better. And we get outside in the park and, you know, it's... I'm very confident in the fact that if people turn up at us after being a day in the office, we'll totally take their day, their mind off of what they've done during the day. It just totally, totally takes you off and away from the humdrum office environment. You can't buy this. It's just there. You know, when you turn up to BMF, the guys will tell you what to do. You don't have to think. They'll put you through your paces. Rarely feel like you can breathe. You know, you get that tougher workout that, 
it, it just makes you you feel good at the end of it when when the old dolphins get released into the wild. It just makes you feel, oh, this is good. I'm glad to be alive. You know, last night, obviously, it was very hot in London. Probably nothing compared to New York at the moment, uh, Jim. But um, Central Park is probably basking in 35 oh, degrees. But yeah, terrible. We're pushing close, although I bet our environment today is much better than yours. We're sitting by the Olympic venue right now um, <laughs> for whitewater rafting. It's beautiful. Sorry, I digress. We deliver something that you can't get as much of in a gym. You might get the odd inspiring instructor, but every instructor at BMF has got a way about them that does inspire. It makes everyone feel a part of something. And that community atmosphere we have, it's not exclusive to BMF, but we're just very good at it. And the guys that, particularly the ex-military guys, are used to being as part of a, a unit. They're part of a, a brotherhood, if you like, or a, a family to remove it from the masculine tone. Yeah, it's, it's really important that these members buy into doing stuff together. They work together. They're fighting against each other. They're doing things that create competition within themselves and with teams and in partners. So it's a total buy-in for the member side of it to just come along and they just get out of their humdrum environment from the work. And there's quite a social side to this as well. Like we've got drinks tomorrow and stuff like that. Yes. That's encouraged, <laughs> right? Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, we'll be on a rooftop bar this time tomorrow, Tom. Um, yeah. There's a lot of like challenges that people do collectively, like we're running up a skyscraper, aren't we, in a month or so and stuff like that. We're going to do the Gherkin Challenge for the NSPCC, the Protection of Children Society in the UK. So that'll be fun. Uh, get a lot of members to do it, raise a bit of cash for a good charity. And when you do things like that together, that really creates more of a bond and a community feeling. So, right. you know, it's like Tom has told me that you've got a fighter that's up and coming as a real prospect. Right. But I suspect that everybody is singing his praises and that in, its, in itself as well. When you've got someone who's very good at something, you know, some of our members have completed some amazing tasks. Just getting over diabetes, changing your life, changing sure. your, your lifestyle. Yeah, we've got one lady who does one of our less dynamic sessions. We call it active. So it's kind of an entry grade session more aimed at people over 50 years old. And this lady has come in at 67 years old. She was quite overweight and she had type 2 diabetes, worked in a betting shop for years, used to smoke, and now she's stopped smoking. She's lost, I think, over three and a half stone and she's stopped taking the diabetes medication just for a change in lifestyle and habits. And she's a real, you know, she's an icon at the park. You know, she's one of my real success stories. And there's a couple of people that have had that sort of thing and people that have been in recovery from major illnesses. Great to have that on your CV, if you like. It's an absolute honour to work with these people as well because they make your job feel worthwhile. Absolutely. You know, what you're doing, they need you, and sometimes more than they even realise. And when you have the opportunity to work with someone, have them lose weight, get healthy, get get off medications, that's a real big deal. That's way more important than working with an elite athlete to do whatever. That's inconsequential compared to just getting someone off their medication for diabetes. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. It does make you feel proud. Absolutely. You know, that you were part of it. You helped facilitate it. You know, whatever it is the hell you do. (laughs) Uh, It's just just a little something. We're we're basically in charge of press-ups in the park. That's it. Right. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not rocket science. 
question for both of you guys. Uh, either of you can take this. But Joe and I were talking yesterday about the capacity to change people. By that, what I mean is stuff like, you know, people have certain genetic limitations. For example, my lungs aren't amazing, right? And that, that's, that's the bit that fails on me first. Now, you were kind of saying, Gel, that you reckon you could get my cardio up to, like, exceptional levels. Totally. I know I can because I've done it many a time. And I will improve your cardio because your mindset sometimes is, you know what? I don't like this. I'm in my uncomfort zone and, and I don't feel good about it. I'm going to stop. But all it will take is a bit of coaching that will happen. And even if it's in your face kind of coaching, I'll deliver it so you won't want to tell me where to go. Okay. You'll be like, oh, I've got a proof to gel. I can do it. And it'll be, Tom, this is not about me. This is about you. You know, you can do this and you will. You'll believe you can do it. And that just having that, that little 5-10% of extra belief really does make a difference. And you can convince someone of that. Even if you don't believe they can do it themselves, sure. sometimes that's enough for them to push just an extra 30 seconds. You know, just to finish that task. You're doing some crazy stuff for, for 30 seconds and you're, you can see they're going to stop or they're pausing in their, in their impetus. And it's like, right, you've got this. Just look at me. Don't even think about what your body's doing. Just do this, just do this, just do this. And you own it and you get it. And they then actually realize they can. It just happens. It, it isn't rocket science and it does work. It's just having belief and convincing them of that. What about, say, the strength side? I'll aim this question at Stuart because of um, strength and conditioning stuff. I know you're an expert in that. Not that you aren't, Jill. So I'm an, an ectomorph, so I'm of, of the skinny build, and obviously I want to be gigantic like Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever. <laughs> you, and me, you and me too, buddy. Yeah, you know like Chris Wilkes who comes down with me, the South African guy? Like we've been going to the gym together and hitting the weights, and he's like ballooning up sort of thing. He's getting like quite big, and I feel like I'm kind of quite similar sized. So how would you guys address that? First of all, we'd tell him he's an arsehole for getting so big so quickly. Um, uh, what you have to remember is, you know, I, I use the term freak, but in an endearing fashion. Some people are just genetic freaks. You know, some people have genetic faults. Some people have this amazing trait. Since I've done this job, I've not had a huge amount of time to hit the gym, really. But that's what I, I really enjoy, although I love training people outside. If I step within 500 yards of a gym... I'm quite lucky that I can bloom back up. I've got a swimming background, so lots of sort of physical, you know, muscle fibre, neurological work. So touch a tuck away, and I'm quite fortunate that I balloon like that. The strength side of it is interesting, isn't it? Because think back to the 80s when everyone was on that real kind of bodybuilding train, and then we kind of went through a slightly different, more athletic phase during the 90s. Then you've come into kind of modern day, and actually it's about athleticism and balance and, you know, bodybuilding as its own kind of place in the world. You know, dare I say, CrossFit's got its own place in the world. Every, everything else in between and on top of that. The irony is that if you touch on strength and conditioning, everyone has their own opinion. But for me, strength and conditioning is kind of the baseline for all exercise. Even if you're, you know, the, the best part of 140 kilo bodybuilder, you still need to have a relative degree nowadays, we understand, of conditioning to be able to support that mass through having a, having a healthy heart. I mean, look at all the guys in the 70s and 80s that dropped dead because they were just lifting, 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 lifting. Wrestling is a prime example, you know, like as in, as in media-based wrestling. But guys lifting the hell out of uh, every gym 
and not really having a CV or a conditioning system to, to properly compete with the framework that they're building. So I think the, the first thing to consider with any kind of strength or conditioning phase, like, like you just mentioned, is that there are some freaks out there that will run faster than others with much less effort. There's somebody out there that will sneeze and put weight on through their biceps faster than anybody else can. So I think that the most important thing to remember about just exercise in general is just movement. If there's one thing humans are designed to do, whether restricted in movement because of disability or whether we're kids, you know, we are designed to move. I think the, the one great thing I love about BMF is think back to when you were a seven or an eight year old boy on the playing fields at school. You're running down a rugby pitch, American football pitch, whatever it is. You're going hell for leather. And, and I remember that feeling as a kid, you know, kind of that expression of freedom, which you don't really get in the gym so much as much as I like that. But you've got that real kind of going for it, maximum exertion, everything you can possibly put into it, you know. And I, I love sprinting because it encapsulates all areas of strength and conditioning. You need to be strong. You need to be stable through your hips. You need to have a good anaerobic system. You need to be able to recycle lactic acid and everything in between. So it's interesting when you think about strength and conditioning. If you ask, I think, the average trainer in the UK with a level three qualification, if you ask them what their opinion of strength is, they'll probably mention weights, relatively low reps, low volume, lift heavy. My opinion on strength is it's very dependent on what you're trying to be strong for probably a bit of a cliche answer nowadays really right. but if you're, if you're trying to be strong to compete at exercise which is which is the thing that's the big thing at the moment then you, you have to kind of think of the outcome of right what does competing exercise look like so competing exercise might be as many kipling pull-ups as you can do in one minute not something i'm too heavy not something i could ever do um so how do you train for that and then breaking down that that kipling pull-up or a normal pull-up as i would prefer into its micro movements and then training for that and you know i always say if you want to be a runner you've got to go for a run but you support that by 20 percent of strengthening or or core you know nobody knows what the bloody word core means anyway but you strengthen through other elements if you want to be a swimmer you can't spend all your life out of the pool just in the gym you need to go and swim if you want to be a good exerciser with an all-round balance or a comp competitive exerciser you've got to practice all forms of exercise so you know, I'm a big believer that we're all athletes. We're just all training for different reasons at different times of our life. And the words strength and conditioning, for me, conjures up programming, periodization, respecting members enough to turn up, or I say members, respecting the community or your client or your athlete enough to turn up with a plan. And if you've got a plan, you can deviate from a plan. If you haven't got a plan, you can't deviate from that plan. And it's about the you guys will know, um, having listened to previous podcasts, but it's about putting the building blocks in place to build new biomechanical structures and then move through a process of movements that become more and more efficient the more you practice them. That's what our ability to be as strong as we were when we were younger. And the reason I think that's so important in present day is because, uh, probably getting a bit deep here, but we, we're becoming more and more sedate. We sit down on our backsides for longer periods, watching more and more trash TV. Um, and what we're trying to do, I think, in the world, in the leisure industry or the fitness industry, is give people an outlet to do something that they didn't realise. I mean, so, Tom, you, you'll back me up on this. How many, how many blue bibs, which we talked about earlier, how many blue bibs are strong as an ox? They're not very mobile. They're not very fast. But man alive, if you tell them to squat, press, push and pull, they can do it all day long. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. You've got the range of abilities and there's a lot of like sort of, I guess, marathon runner-esque people and those people will naturally warm to being the greens. 
I think. Probably so. And, you know, we all look at what we're good at and that's what we want to do more of because we feel like we're achieving something by doing more of things that we're better at. So if you get a green bid that's great at covering distance, what do they want to do? They want to cover distance. So they want to hurt, hurt around the park as quick as they possibly can. The irony is, you know, I'm a big believer in, particularly with running, if you want to go for a run, put your headphones on and smash it around a park on your own time. If you want to be educated on exercise and improve something perhaps that you're not as strong at, i.e. your strength, your range of motion, your ability to sustain a, a critical pose or critical posture, then actually that, that's what I believe in. And, you know, I try and mix that up with the more locomotive movements, i.e. crawling patterns, running patterns. You've been to a few sessions of mine. That's what I believe in. But, but the great thing is there's no one mold of coach or trainer that suits every individual person out there. Anybody right, that's worked true. in training or coaching will know that. And the sure. trick is, ironically, you, yeah, you, you touched on it earlier with gel. The, the trick is actually to get inside psychology of the individual or even the psychology of the group as quickly as possible, not to read what they want from a session or from a program, but to convince them that your way will benefit them. Your, you can lead them from the dark into the light. It sounds a bit biblical, but um, and, and <laughs> if they just come with you, if they just invest trust in you, they will make a change to an element that wasn't so good at the moment that they didn't trust in. Let's use the strength side of that and they build their strength and blow me down. If all of a sudden their running improves because they can sustain better hip posture and hip locomotion for longer periods of time. Also, they're still getting a lung burn, like you, like you mentioned earlier. And all of a sudden they start to buy into that. And I think the relationship between the trainer and a client, a member, an athlete, whatever you want to call it, is it's all about the best trainers are the one that build trust the quickest. Um, the worst trainers are the ones that break that trust the quickest. So the guys that are too quick to take money oh. off people and then let them down. And perhaps, you know, for me, professional standards is a massive thing. You know, be on time, be ready to go, have a plan. So dependent on what people look for, for me, in the fitness industry, people are looking for consistency. They don't know it, but they're looking to improve things that they weren't necessarily good at. Strength is an obvious one that we can all understand. They're looking for that experience as a community, particularly in city. Joe mentioned that, you know, there's lots of competition all over the world nowadays with very obvious products. But you know what? There's billions and billions of people in the world. And no matter what you tell me, there's no way that CrossFit can cater for six billion people. There's no way that we can cater for six billion people. So, <laughs> you know, there's a there's a place for everyone and everyone has a sure. place. The anaerobic side of things, you place a big emphasis on doing anaerobic training. And we've thrown in some element of strength training. Why are those things so kind of key? Why is the anaerobic element in particular? And what does that mean? Let's touch on the anaerobic first. I mean, listen, this, we have to understand that in a, in a world that has an ever increasing amount of knowledge, particularly around the science of exercise, I used to be that egotistical guy that's done a level of qualification in academia that really i went through this pompous stage of sticking two fingers up to anyone that hadn't got to that level uh, i've come i've come full circle because i realized that makes me look like a bit yeah, yeah massively <laughs> makes me look like a bit a bit of a dip but but also i worked privately with my own business so there's a level of competition and you're kind of always competing against other sure. other people in the market i've come around now and actually i understand that some of the best instructors i've ever met have got the most basic of qualification but they do a lot of reading they do a lot of their own private study they've got an open mind to many different variations right. i was listening to your podcast on bruce lee and you know the one thing that's interesting about him that i took from that podcast that was that he, he was open-minded to various art forms from various parts of the world and you know exercise is very similar to that so if you take an anaerobic phase for example 
where people get confused is they think that anaerobic is all about sustaining a maximum effort for as long as possible. Not really true. If you consider the average person wants to lose a bit of body fat, be a bit fitter, have a better cardio system, maybe beyond that they may have a greater goal. If you work someone, let's say for 30 seconds, maximum effort, 30 seconds. So you probably, for the average person, you're talking maximum distance of 200 metres. What you're really looking for is a one to two work to rest relationship. Now, people are paying for an hour's worth of session in a park and they want the value from that. So what we have to do is educate people that actually there's more value in maximum exertion for 200 metres or, or for 30 seconds, whether it's high knees on the spot, sprinting 200 metres, as many press-ups as you can do, followed by not rest, but a recovery stage so that you can then give me maximum exertion again. So if you're working for 30 seconds, take a minute's rest, then I want maximum again. And what people tend to confuse the anaerobic phase with is 30 seconds of maximal exertion. Oh, my God, I can't carry on. Well, you've got to go again, says the instructor. And within five seconds, you're back off on that 200 metres. And actually, what you're doing is crippling the neural system and you're not really getting any anaerobic gain. You're probably building an element of fitness to a degree, but you're not building that specific level of recycle, recover, perform, recycle, recover, perform. So the irony is I actually find that sometimes by slowing members down and getting them to engage in what you're saying, this is where I want maximum effort. This is where I want recovery. They're actually working harder through taking on board the education, particularly through the anaerobic phase, rather than just thrashing themselves for 12 minutes solid. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a really oh, good course. explanation. Yeah. For years, I was killing it, killing it, killing it. And then I uh, backed off and became a little smarter, I guess, in my training. And now I'm back to killing it for a little while. <laughs> but there's this like, that ferment the cycle. But right, so when you're going and you're having to kill them to recover, you know, that that's tough to walk them through that. Their pain thresholds, what they're willing to do, you know, how much can you drive at them? That's, uh, and every athlete, everybody is different. And when you were talking about uh, Bruce Lee a little bit before, I find this a lot in the boxing world where guys are just cemented in their one way, their one whatever it might be. And boxing coaches, at least around here, I'm sure it's everywhere, they do it only one way. There's no thinking out of the box and being creative and trying and exploring new things. It's just that their education is limited to that one sort of modality. Boxing is interesting, isn't it? Because boxing is still one of the most professional sports with a fairly rudimentary training background. And if you look at Very the if you look at Anthony, Anthony Joshua, for example, to make it topical, he's kind of like that, let's go, let's make it Rocky Fiends. It's kind of the Ivan Drago in terms of, you know, he's training away in the gym, everything's measured, everything's performance-based. And then on the other hand, another UK boxer, Tyson Fury, he's just out there, he's a great boxer, he's big, he's strong, classic, he knows how to box, he's kind of come back from adversity, which, sure. you know, Josh, has Joshua already ever had to do that? Now, I'm, I'm not a boxer. I don't look like one. I tend to, to back away from a fight where possible. The, the funny thing is that in the UK, football is actually incredibly similar. It's still fairly rudimentary in the way that they train their athletes. It's only now is it training and catching up with very scientific principles. And it's ironic that two of the sports with the most amount of money in the world are actually the most backwards in terms of their engagement of scientific principles. It's really true. 100% agree with you. Absolutely. It shocks me what little they know, or at least appear to know. It's very, and what they do, by the way, works very well. You know, doing push-ups, sit-ups, jumping rope. It's great. Pretty much that's probably all you ever fucking need. But there's a lot more out there. And they're very close-minded to a lot. Of, no, no, we would never want to do that. <laughs> it's kind of funny.
What does the future hold for British military fitness? So BMF, obviously, as a cult, as a membership, as a community, we definitely have a foothold in the outdoor market in the whole of the UK, from the south of England all the way up to Scotland, almost a completely different climate to what we're experiencing in London uh, with the weather, etc. today. But there are a lot of copycat businesses, so there are threats. Yeah, massively. Yeah, there are. And the, and the interesting thing is I actually think it's our professional standards that, sta- uh, that stand us apart from those copycat. Listen, I, I used to run and own my own boot camp on much smaller scale. And I came into the business thinking professional standards, be on time, be regulated, be, have a program. And that put me in great stead compared to other boot camps operating in the area. What BMF do is they have a platform online that people can use and log into. The technology has been invested in heavily, so it's growing. They've secured a huge wave of investment, which has been pumped into the business at a steady level. So it's not over trading, so to speak. The copycat businesses, what tends to happen is it's usually a guy with a rucksack in a park setting up his own thing. One in 100 of them might go on to do something a little bit bigger. What you tend to find, though, is that these guys are unable to sustain a year-round service where they can be there all year. They, you know, they need a holiday. They need to see their family. And, and of course, if anybody's ever run their own business, listen to this podcast, they'll understand that the minute you step away from your business to take a break, there's nobody there that's going to love and nurture that baby that you nurture, which is your business, as well as you are. So I think that's what BMF has on its side. For the future, like I said, we've got a foothold in the outdoor market. We need to increase that brand presence a little bit. We're going to work on that. Make no mistake, Joel touched on it earlier. There's many other, not just copycat businesses out there, Tom, but there's many other types and forms of exercise nowadays. And whereas 20 years ago, our audience, our member base was not as academically qualified around exercise to make a decision. So they gravitated towards the norm, which was going to the gym or going for a run there is now a bigger understanding of the theory of exercise and what will benefit people. And, you know, you've got your CrossFit, your F45s, your energies, your, your Planet Fitness, I think was mentioned earlier, all very, very successful. But again, I go back to not everything appeals to one person. And, you know, I still think there's a massive market for the outdoor market. I would like to think that BMS have a strong enough brand presence to eventually go after an indoor market and appeal to almost have two strands for their business or even a quasi indoor outdoor market with, one of the things we're looking deep into is positioning hub stations. So think of kind of container solutions on all weather pitches. So you've got that blended indoor-outdoor model. Now, I love the idea of that. I think that's great because yeah. you can appeal to your indoor market that would never dream of getting muddy fingernails, but you can appeal to your outdoor mar- market that want it rough and ready. And then you've got everything in between there for your average person that would dip in and out of both of those. The thing they're doing is they're, they're looking at introducing franchises. So established fitness individuals like Jill or me, for example, could buy into the business and operate in an area where they have great local knowledge. And a lot of the times with, with the businesses that we're running, and if you look at people that own private gyms, the reason they're successful, Tom, is because they know their local market and they have a, an understanding and, and a presence within their area so they can market effectively. And they can, you know, they can talk to, people on, talk to people on their level and come across as genuinely caring about the area and the community that, that they're investing in. So personally, I believe we're going to have to look at the indoor market at some point. Not at the moment. We're still really pushing the outdoor side of things. Uh, I gen- I'm going to use a fitness term here, or a leisure industry term, that, that's going to drive some of your listeners mad. But I generally believe that BMF can start to disrupt that indoor market because of the strength of its brand. Sometimes there's almost too much choice. You know, you can get disillusioned by the amount of potential solutions. Everything's selling you the dream and not know quite where to go. And I, th- I think just the focus with you guys having quality coaching 
it pushes you that bit further and everyone therefore does end up getting results. So people want to get into BMF. How do they find you and how can people join their local club? Basically go online. You can see us in parks all over the UK. Come along after registering online. You don't have to register. You can come down to the park. Make sure you bring a phone with you and we can, we can navigate you through the website just to get you to sign a little waiver on the health questionnaire and do your first session for free. If you come to mine and uh, Stuart's sessions, then you're going to have as close to the product representation as you're going to get anywhere else in the country. And you'll have a fab experience with uh, meet lots of new people. So come on down. It's free for the first time and we'll love to see you in the park. Excellent. And uh, it's free for military personnel. I'll just throw that one in. It is. Uh, yeah, we're, we're currently doing for veterans and serving guys. We've got a, a package where they can train for free just to, to put back, if you like, into where most of our workforce comes from. The majority of the guys at the company are from a military background, have got that, that root in their lives and that never leaves you. So, yeah, anyone from Her Majesty's Services, the Navy, Army, Air Force, Royal Marines, okay, please come along. Use us for free. You'll love it. And you'll get a bit of fizz, just like you had in the old days. <laughs> and Bear Grylls has invested in you now, right? He's, he's uh, your figurehead. He has, yeah. Um, he's got a military background himself. He was a reservist with 2-1 SAS. And I'm not sure about his other military background, but he's definitely supporting our troops. He's trying to give us a step up, if you like, employing as well. And he's in, invested quite heavily into the company. So he's very keen to get around the parks. He's pushing things himself. Obviously, he's got a busy schedule, travelling off to God knows where and eating God knows what. But yes, he's definitely big on the business. He's loving it. He's promoting us all over the place, which is great. And he'll be turning up at parks from time to time. Awesome. So, yeah, listeners, if you're in the UK and you want to check it out, it's uh, Be Military Fit. Just Google it and it comes right up. There's classes all over the country. Find out more there. Thanks ever so much, guys, for being on the show, Jeremy and Stuart. I'm looking forward to my next session tomorrow at 12.30. You got me, mate. I'll see you there. All right. Take care, guys. Have a great day. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.